0: I ask a lot. Are we doing a Easter message? Of course we are. It's every Sunday. We preach the gospel every every Sunday. It's and we should really preach the gospel to ourselves every day, as we read His Word. You know, as I think about John Evans, where we got started, uh, we what I don't know if you guys have remembered those days. They were. Full of a lot of great memories as we got our church started eight years ago or so, eight and a half years in. Wonderful memories of us learning how to set up and tear down, uh, learning how to serve one another, learning how to uh, even do fellowship with each other to outside for hours, uh, no one wanting to leave under, that, uh, under the shade there in front of the school in fact, my daughter Ella, nine-year-old, we were driving past uh, John Evans, and she said, "I don't even remember being there anymore. I just remember being at Fountainhead. I mean, this is we've we've been here for so long. Oh, really? Just since August. But it's been such a privilege to be here. Uh, this is our last Sunday, uh, so we are celebrating, of course, the resurrection of Jesus. But we're also celebrating the fact that God has taken care of this church since its birth uh, and that God has always done that. And he's always been faithful and he will continue to be faithful all the way to the end. In fact, he promises that in Philippians 1.6 that he says that he will complete the work, us, he will complete the work in us, who, who is the church, right? We are the church, uh, the temple of the Holy Spirit, the living ones, as Peter said in First Peter, we're the living stones put together. Uh, what a wonderful thing! It's never been about a building, although we need one. Uh, certainly, better than being outside in the grass. Although Jesus held church in the grass uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, and but they've always the church has always been the people, and we are moving into a new building that is much bigger than what's in the room. But we do know that uh, God wants to expand his church in Oviedo. Um, and that when you walk in next Sunday, don't walk in necessarily just thinking, my goodness, this is so big. And don't get caught up into that. Get caught up with the fact that God has taken care of his church. Get caught up in the fact that God has always been faithful to us. And that he's just really bringing us, the church, remember, not the building from glory to glory, but his church from glory to glory, as it says in 2 Corinthians 3. That these years, or these months, I should say, in this building really marked the growth and maturity. It hasn't been easy. Uh, This has been probably the uh, hardest season, really, that any church has ever gone through. In fact, men. Uh, pastors in their 70s and 80s say, by far, this has been the most challenging years that they've ever pastored. We know that these have been very trying times, uh, but God's grown our church. It's standing room only today. It's uh, it it you know the the fact that uh, in the fall, let me remind you again that uh, even though we're in the midst of a pandemic, and at that time in October. It was probably unheard of of even men taking business trips uh, to different locations around the country, yet we took over a Spirit Airlines flight, 140 people in the midst of pandemic. Now, of course, that's not unusual for us. We're used to that. Um, And sometimes we forget that, you know, the average church in America is 75 people. Um, and that God has really, uh, one of my seminary professors when I was out in California said, hey, uh, tell me the size of your church. And I said, hey, we're a real small church, about 220 people. He's like, that is not a small church. <laughs> you realize most of the churches here in your class are about 20 to 30 to 60 people in their churches. We are always used to the bigger ones because we, of course the, they're on TV or we know about them in, in the spotlight. They're in the spotlight because they're so big. But the reality is it's never been about the numbers. God has grown our church and I see the maturity in our church and that's what brings me great joy. And I know that biblically speaking is because Third John says that, that there is John who is a pastor writing to, the, to really a life group, says there is no greater joy than to see my children grow up in the faith, not necessarily grow in numbers, although we know when they grow in their faith, they will grow in width. Then you move into the spring And now we're taking 180 people 40 more in the spring than there was in the fall That is a testimony to God um, We certainly couldn't take credit for it People ask me all the time, how do you do it? I don't know, I, I don't have a formula <laughs> I don't have a way as three steps in how to get your church to do something that they don't want to do I, I don't have that uh, but, you know, people even after service had asked, they said, hey, how can we get to Turkey? I mean, people are asking, how do we get overseas? Someone asked me, hey, if you're going to Japan, just yesterday, if you're going to Japan, I'm on that trip, just so you know. I'm like, okay. <laughs> um, and just getting correspondence from them in our church in Japan, we have 25 people at their Easter service, and they're just so... Diverse. They had a picture of all of them, just smiling faces from all different parts of the world. And uh, I turned to Nicole and I said, "Hey, isn't that great? Just to see a church being so diverse." She's like, "Well, that's not really unusual. We modeled that for them when we planted it. Of course, they would follow their fathers and mothers." It's just incredible to see what God is doing, just in in the world. Even the places that we've touched, the places that we've been to, whether it be Sweden or whether that be Colombia or. Japan and uh, Belgium and Germany and the different places that we've been to, Uruguay, which I forgot about the, just recently. Just someone reminded me, do you remember when we took that weekend trip to Uruguay? No, I for- totally forgot about that. <laughs> and uh, just being there at the right time uh, it, with these people that we've never met before. And we were doing correspondence through Skype and got to be there at the right time where uh, the, the pastor died uh, months before we got there and they never were able to grieve but we were there and helped that church grieve. Almost brings me to tears just to think about like that time that we got to be there at the right place at the right time and just seeing God do so many amazing things with this church. It's just been incredible. But I will say this that the best is yet to come. It really is. I mean, it, we see that in the New Testament that they continued to be faithful and God continued to grow and we have this ancient 2,000-year-old document, the New Testament. And it's a miracle that we have this in our hands today, that we get to know who God is. And this morning, what I want to do is, I want to go through the book of Acts, but I want to read you guys this passage in First Corinthians 12, just to really just even paint a picture and give you guys vision again into the church, the beauty of the church, and to never lose sight of the beauty of the church and to not pay attention to what's going on, really, in the news and all the negativity and all the stuff that's happening, but to actually look at this book and it shows us just the the profound uh, nature of the church. It's just it's a unified body of Jews and Gentiles coming together that we get to worship God and get to know God together. We get to literally change the world together. Uh, and and you know, the church back in the first century, they were the marginalized. They were, they were pushed aside, they were a hated group of people, and anybody that was writing the news in the media would have said, this body of small, little, tiny, marginalized body of people, oh, they'll be extinct only within years. They went through their harshest persecution with Nero, and the rest of about two or three other Roman empires emperors, they were slaughtered and and cut in half. And and Hebrews is talking about just stay with it, stay with it, stay with it. such a great book for even for us today to read. So relevant for us today. But yet these people, they survived and not only survived, but they thrived. And somehow 2,000 years later, we're reading about them and we are them. That's a miracle. That's incredible. That's a testimony to the resurrection of Jesus. So First Corinthians 12, it says this. I want you to read with me. It'll be up in there too as well. But I love hearing the turning of pages in the Bible. It brings, it's like music to the ears. So if you have your Bible with me or with you, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians 12 just so you can see it for yourself. And I think it is important to see it for yourself. This is the Bible. This is the written word of God. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren... I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. Now, I love that part because we could all, all, if you're a Christian today, we all have a story. We all have a before. Every one of us has a before. Remember that just even right now, just even think about your before. Think about how you once were estranged from God. You were you were you were separated from him. You didn't always know him, you didn't always love him, you, you didn't always want to serve him. You weren't willing to give up your life for someone you didn't know. But as you got to know him, it became easier to 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 deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow him. But there was a before for all of you guys. You were pagan. Uh, you served mute idols. Um, you were led by them, you loved them, you loved your sin uh, before. Um, In fact, maybe some of us even in here today still loves their sin, but there is a remedy for that. And therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one could say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So if you're sitting here and you love those songs that you're worshiping, you're like, yes, this is, I mean this with all my heart. If that in itself is a miracle, it's a miracle that you can sing those songs because not everybody can. Uh, not everybody wants to. Now there were varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. Now there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. We have many ministries here we have very simple ministries those who uh, grab the coffee on the way here right oh who's thankful for that uh, somebody has to uh, bring the bagels uh, somebody has to greet you at the door uh, there are those who uh, lead the college there are those who lead young adult ministries there are those who lead our children very well um meetings that happen unbeknownst to you, Uh, working things out tirelessly so that things can work out so that your children can know who God is, Uh, so that they can have fellowship, um, just like we as adults have fellowship. They can also be on mission, and that takes administration, that takes work. Uh, We have administrators who are amazing. I just... They're gifted. They're not slaves. Uh, They love what they do. If you tried to hold them back, they would would destroy you in the midst of... (laughs) They they would just do it anyways. Uh, um, They're not... Many of them are not getting paid, uh, or at least paid enough uh, to do what they do. It's amazing. It really is. Life group leaders. It isn't the pinnacle of our leadership in the church because he says... There are varieties. Uh, he didn't say better, uh, best. He didn't, he didn't compare those per se, although we'll get to a place that there are those who are hidden and they deserve double honor even. Uh, they work hard behind the scenes to make all this work in front of you. And also saying that we all are a part of this, that there's a plurality of leaders. Um, it's so important that we know that because if we are going to fill that 600-person auditorium, which, by the way, is the goal, right? You want to stay 200? I, but we don't, we're not better than anybody in the city. We're, we're not a, a better church because we grow. It just shows that we're a healthy church. Because healthy churches always grow deep and wide. So we need more leaders. We need more owners. And these eight months or so have been a story of ownership. They aren't necessarily a story of failure or I wish we would go back to normal. We'll never go back to normal. In fact, that's a good thing because we've matured and we know who God is. We fall more in love with him and his people So verse 6, there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For the common good. You know, you're in whatever service, I understand that there's about 120 people out of 220-ish that serve this church. That's over half. Again, I don't know what church you came from, but that's unheard of. That is unheard of. And I want to keep it that way, if not more. I want people to be confused in this church, being like, there are so many leaders. Who is the leader? I, who leads this thing? I don't even know. It's confusing because everyone just seems to be leading their own lives, their families, their life group, their church. Amazing. Their city, the workplace. But to each one is given a manifestation of the gift for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and another word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit, and to another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. Now, Paul is not fancy. Clarity is king in the Bible. He might be saying, well, he's saying the same thing. He wants it to be clear that whatever gift you have, it's because God gave it to you and that they're all equal in a sense that they all matter and one is not better than the other and to another, the affecting of miracles and to another prophecy and to another, the distinguishing of spirits, to another various gifts of tongues and to another, the interpretation of tongues, but one and the same spirit works all things distributing to each one individually just as he wills. So in other words, you don't get to wake up in the morning and say, oh, I'd love to be a teacher. Because if God gave you the gift of administration, use it. Because he didn't give somebody else the gift of administration. He might have given you the gift of teaching or you the gift of wisdom in certain situations. You know, you've been in certain, especially overseas, you know, you see that, I don't know what to do. And someone's like, I just feel like we're supposed to do this. And that's God. Because left to ourselves, I mean, certainly when I come up with that idea, we would have just destroyed this missing trip on our own. But God's working through people. What a, I mean, this is an encounter with God. Just reading this passage, it's amazing. I didn't come up with this. You didn't come up with this. Our, our top dog leader in this church didn't come up with this. It just, it's God. And you know what? That all puts us in the realm of children looking at God saying, that's amazing. Anything that happens in this church that is just profound is his fault. Anything that happens in this church that is disastrous and goes down the tube is totally our fault. And it's a—it's our problem. Um, For even as the body is one, and yet as many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For in one spirit, we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. We are all made to drink of one spirit. He's every line. He's hammering unity, unity, oneness. We're one body moving in to another building collectively. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body. It is not for this reason, any less a part of the body. Now that happens all the time, right? We compare each other. Or with each other, we compare our gifts with somebody else's gift, perhaps even within the same realm, or they're a better teacher or communicator, or they're better this or better that. But he's saying it's not, it's, it's futile, it's, it's pointless, it's foolish to do that. And if the ear says, Because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. For the whole body were an eye, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? Now, I will say some churches, maybe you've been been a part of those, where we uplift one gift over another, right? We've been to those. We've heard those. We've seen those on TV or read about them, where it's like everything's about that one gift. So everybody in the room wants to have that one gift and we realize that would be detrimental to our church. And it really just becomes boring because unless you're affirmed in that unique gift, you probably won't use it, and you probably won't realize the benefit of that and the importance of it, and therefore, we all suffer, all of us. But now God has placed the members each one of them in the body, just as he is desired. It's his church. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which deem less honorable On these, we bestow more abundant honor and our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. In other words, what he's saying is those who teach and preach and those who are more visible, those who lead the college, those who uh, lead uh, our life groups or in young adult ministry, they are more visible and though they deserve honor, the Bible says that, Paul picks that up in Timothy and says those especially deserve double honor so the Bible's constantly balancing, but he's saying, hey, do not forget about those behind the scenes. In fact, you need to go out of your way to honor those people. You know, what I see is God being a father. Uh, you know, a lot of times, and you'll see when you have kids, you know, especially at you have four or five, you know, six, seven, eight kids. Uh, <laughs> that's not my plan. Uh, that might be others. Um, but the, uh, you'll notice that some are louder than the others And as a father, you, you have to make sure that you have a well-balanced family Because some can dominate conversations um, And some can be a little bit more loud than others And if you don't go out of your way to honor those who are more quiet They might feel less uh, important in the family And so it is fatherly, as God is the father of the household, to go out of his way to say, hey, make sure that they know that they are important. Uh, Because if they don't know that, maybe they will get discouraged and not do it anymore, and therefore the church will be at a great disadvantage. So you have a job to do. You have homework. To make sure you go out of your way to let others know in the church that they are important because we want a church that is well-balanced and a church that everybody is, knows the, their importance, that when they come to church, they know how valuable they are. And it really does take somebody going out of their way, as the scripture says, to make sure that they know that they're valued. That could just be a gift card. A lot of these people don't get paid. That could be a, uh, lots of different ways. You can bless them with a meal. Um, you can take them out. You can write them an encouragement card. There's lots of different things that you can do. But do it. Uh, it's much needed. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor so that the member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, you are Christ's body and individual members of it. And God has appointed in the church first the apostles, second the prophets, third the teachers, then miracles, then the gifts of healing, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have the gifts of healing, do they? All do not speak in tongues, do they? And all do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts. And I will show you still a more excellent way. And then he goes into the famous passage. There's a lot of times spoken at weddings, the excellence of love. Isn't the church great? I mean, I don't know. I read that. I'm just like, let's just go home. Enjoy the church. Let's go out on the fields. Let's eat lunch together. Enjoy it. The church is incredible. I, but we do need to talk about Acts 14. I, it's a wonderful passage. I do have a way of tying that in, if you're wondering. Uh, just watch. Um, but I, I, I just want to read that because one of the we're going to talk about this morning the six characteristics of a healthy church or a powerful church. So if you're taking notes, write these six down, because as we go into the new building, there's gonna be some changes. It will seem different. It'll be like, we're gonna have to remind ourselves again that we're one body, one church. We were at Evans, we were at Fountainhead, and now again, now we're moving to a new location. But you know, every place that we've ever gone, God has grown us deep and wide, He's taking care of us, as we said. And just a reminder again, I think I mentioned this a while back, maybe a few weeks back, but that even our address is so important, that it is on King Street, 601 King Street, that God wants to grow us, that number 601 just says, hey, don't stop at 600, but that God has more for us. It is King Street knowing that Jesus is king. He is Lord over his church. And it is the center of town, knowing that God has placed us right in the middle of Oviedo on purpose. Isn't that great? Every time you drive there, just remind yourself often of those things. I think it will be great vision as you walk in, knowing that, hey, I'm a member of this body and I want to serve this body. I want to come to give. Yes, of course, I want to be nourished in the word of God and everybody's involved in that, including myself. But we are called to serve his people. And so number one, This is kind of like what I would call the midterm review. How many like midterm exams? Nobody does. There's maybe a few of you like that kind of stuff, but uh, most of us do not. Um, I'm in what even I'm going to school right now, kind of in the midterm. I had a midterm paper. Remember those? Those are fun. Um, But this is kind of a midterm review. We're halfway through the book of Acts. Acts 14, so far we've seen his, God grow his church from the mandate of Acts 1-8. They were so faithful. Uh, Pentecost, the power was given, and then God uh, began to grow the church in Jerusalem, spread them out in Samaria and the ends of the earth. God raised up leaders, uh, God showed them how to do church and community in Acts 2. He gave the structure of leadership and then he gave the growth of the church as we've seen in Acts 8 through 13. It's been a marvelous, amazing journey. It's only going to get better. Gifted church, number one, they were a gifted church. 1 Corinthians 12, that's why I read that. It's the first passage if you want to write that down and review that and uh, maybe even in your life group or your time with the Lord in the morning. Ephesians 4.12, we're just going to break this down just a bit. So Ephesians 4, 12 and 11 and 12, he says, and he gave some to be apostles. He gave some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints to do the work of service. And then uh, he gave uh, some to, or he gave these gifts so that it, they would be built up in the body. Now I'm gonna read the rest of that in a little bit here, but number one, he gave the church an apostle. Now, there are two kinds of apostles, and this is important for you to know, that number one, the, Paul was an apostle. According, there was 14 apostles. Can you name them all? God gave, Jesus raised up the 12. Uh, Judas died. They, they, had a, they raised up another one in Acts 1, and then Paul was the 14th apostle as we know it. And here are the characteristics. He was, they were called directly by Jesus, Now, people say, you know, John, you have apostolic gift and all this stuff, but I'm not an apostle. I might have planted a church, as we know it. I'm more like a Barnabas in that sense than I am a Paul. Now, what I mean by that is I did not see Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, although that would have been awesome, and get a call from him, but I did not. Uh, And I will just say this, frankly, no one else did. Uh, No matter what they tell you on TV or what they tell you on, on these these super apostle guys, you know, that do all this stuff. They're false apostles. The true apostle is are the 14, as we see and recognize in the New Testament. They were called directly by Jesus. They saw the resurrected Jesus. They represent the Lord as a slave. Paul says over and over and over again, I am a slave of Christ, meaning that Jesus is my master, and I owe everything to him. In fact, a lot of your translations will uh, translate that into bond servant uh, that is an incorrect translation doulos means slave that is a kind of a, a really an offensive term especially even in today's day and age but that is true in the new testament paul understood that i have only one master and that's jesus christ and i only serve him and he is a loving master not a cruel one but he loves me and I serve him alone. Number four is that he is a sent one. He's commissioned for a purpose. Number five is that he has a delegated authority to speak on behalf of the one he represents. He is the mouthpiece of God. He can write scripture and he does. And then number six is he validates his message by signs and wonders. Now, he... Was even though he was an apostle, uh, there are many uh, sub apostles, so to speak. There, P- Barnabas in Acts two, or I'm sorry, in Second Corinthians eight nineteen, Barnabas was sent by the church. Now, here's the thing: we are going to send many sub apostles, if you will, to go plant churches even overseas. Now you have to have that gift. It's a mix of evangelism, of setting up church, developing leaders. They have that, and so here are the kind of the qualities of that. They preach and teach the gospel, Acts six four. If you remember that passage, we did. They uh, they can uh, they validate their message by miracles. Even though today they're probably less and less of that. We have the they validate their message by the the. The authority of scripture, that's where our backing is. We go into countries on behalf of the Lord, on behalf of the word of God, and that is our backing, that is our strength. And they also appoint leaders. They appoint leaders. Uh, It was our privilege to go to Japan to appoint leaders, and now they've quadrupled in size. Um, And Tachibana, Pastor Tachibana, is constantly looking for more leaders and they have a very diverse church there and it's been incredible to see that apostolic work continue. And I believe there are some people in this room that will have an apostolic call or already have one to go plant churches. Uh, Maybe some of you are right now and just even sensing that stir in your heart to say, oh, I wanna do that. I'm called to do that. I can't wait to be sent from this church. Number two, prophet. They are called to proclaim the word. They're not necessarily what we would call a prophet in the Old Testament, but in the, they, they are, they're called to, uh, yes, declare judgment, uh, declare God's promises, declare God's love, call people to repent. Today's prophets more look like what you see in Romans twelve six. Now, let me be very clear about this because there are a lot of confusion about regarding prophets or prophetic ministry. Romans twelve six says this, and if I'm reading out of the NASB, it's and it's important because this is probably the most literal translation, and the reason why that's important is because we're going to get the most the closest to the Greek, the original language, and a lot of people, this will, this will turn, this passage is very, obje- uh, the faith is objective versus subjective, and you'll see that in a second here. So it says, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace of God given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly, if prophecy, here's the key word, if prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. That sounds subjective, but in the original context, it says according to the faith. So here's the thing. If we take our Bibles and we go across the room and we go pray for somebody and we want to ha- we have a word of the Lord for them, we realize it's not our words but it's the words of scripture. We're wanting to encourage someone, according, prophesy over someone according to the faith, and what's the faith? It's this. It's the word of God. Does that make sense? I'll show you again in another passage, Jude 3, it says, "I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation." I felt the necessity to write you to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, which has been handed down to the saints. It's been given to us by the apostles. And this is our, if you want to encourage somebody, encourage somebody with the word of God. I'm telling you, that sticks way more than your thoughts. I still remember many words that people have given me, just scriptures. I I remember when someone gave me this scripture about two years ago, and it's served me so well uh, over these uh, very tough and difficult times, 2 Corinthians 4. It was a simple word. Somebody gave me a word about patience. Just said, be patient. Uh, 2 Timothy 4, be patient as you preach the word, knowing that it takes great patience to get through the congregation. You can't just expect people to get it in the moment. Man, those have been words. I mean, that's incredible. Now every once in a while there someone speaks something over me and it's like, "Wow, that was so profound. That was so great." But if when I check that against the scriptures, I realize, "Okay, that was God. Great." And if it wasn't, we throw it away. And we don't injure the person. We don't go after them saying, "Oh, there's some sort of false prophet." They were just trying to do their best. But they but uh, as a exhortation to the congregation, Uh, let's make sure that we back up our words with scripture. Number three, teacher. Now, there's so many teachers in the room. That doesn't just mean people that teach necessarily on a Sunday morning or ADS context. And by the way, we have vision to open up ADS 2.0, 3.0, 4.0. And that's important. Why? Because we certainly don't want to send our future missionaries unequipped. We want to send them... Uh, very equipped. And not only that, but I want a church that's equipped. Sometimes we're always thinking of those who are sending out and we forget about those who are sitting here with us. We want to make sure that there is enough uh, to put in the tank so that you who are in your workplaces are equipped to do the work of ministry in your workplace and in your household as fathers and as mothers and as as children. Uh, There's always these exhortations to teach Uh, In fact, Proverbs says, do not neglect your father's teaching. Uh, Teaching is all throughout scripture. That is how it gets passed down. Okay, so Romans 12, six and seven, it says, if service in serving, he who teachings in teach. Whatever gift you have, do it. Whatever gift you have, do it. But if it's teaching, my goodness, teach. Teach one-on-one, teach in groups. Teach, teach, teach. It's a wonderful gift. Uh, Acts 2.42 they continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Be hungry for the word when you come here. Don't come, you know, I, 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 let it be gone the days of people coming in here to try to hear the pastor. I don't want to tickle anyone's ears. Um, I, I'm not interested in that. And neither should you. When you come here, you want to hear the word. When you're hearing the word, you're like, oh, that's so relevant to my context. Oh, I love that. That's great. That's... You know what I'm saying? Come hungry for the word, not to hear entertainment or uh, how gifted a person is or if they, oh, I love their story. A lot of stories and sermons, if you're honest, they don't even connect. Uh, so disregard, uh, you know, stories are great, but lots of you hold on to the story, you forget the message. That's not the purpose. Stories are supposed to illustrate the message if it's hard to understand, not just to entertain the people. The word is important. That's what sticks. Titus two one, teach sound doctrine. That's why we have ads. Is a place where you learn. People say, well, maybe ads is you know college is too young. It's never too young. In fact, I'd love to have Caleb or some of our young guys or even our kids be involved in that. And in fact, a lot of them even come because you're never too learn too young to hear the word of God. It's for everyone. First Peter four ten and eleven is each one has received a special gift. It's everyone. Employ it in serving one another as good servants of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do it as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. In other words, whether you have a vocal gift or a non-vocal gift, use it because both are from God and both are used to build the body. Romans twelve eight it says or he who exhorts is in his exhortation or he who gives with liberality or he who leads with diligence these are adjectives and how you're supposed to live out your gifting. It says he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Uh, we have many of those people who love to give, but if you're gonna do it, do it cheerfully. If you're gonna teach, do it right. Do it the right way. Do it with uh, exhortation in mind, not to entertain or to draw people to yourself. Uh, And by the way, teaching was different than communicating and preaching. We have great communicators in this church. That does not mean they preach. It does not mean they teach. Uh, People give trainings, uh, you know, for, for for DC or for ADS, or people train, people teach, And build up Uh, people also then they preach and they proclaim. They're all different. Shepherding the flock, 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God and not for sordid gain, uh, not in for, your, for money's sake, but with eagerness, not as you're lording it over or not for some sort of power trip or power gain over the people, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, in other words, you're gonna be accountable to him who is the best shepherd. He is the standard. You will receive the unfading crown of glory. You're gonna be rewarded for shepherding the flock if you do it the right way. And you younger men, likewise, likewise, be subject to your elders and all of you. And then he talks about doing it with humility because God opposes proud and gives grace to the humble. And then number five, evangelists. Those who share the gospel. I'm going to get back. The reason I'm uh, moving faster here is because we'll pick up strengthening and encouraging in a minute. But evangelists, those who share the gospel and equip the saints to do ministry. In other words, if you have the gift of evangelism, you, it's twofold. folded one, you rock it on the streets. But you also teach others to do the same. That's what that means. All right. So, plurality of leaders. We all matter, right? Isn't that great? It's let us never have a day where we uplift one over another. It's just foolishness. And we should be excited about those who come in the doors, saying, Every time we see someone come through the doors, like, man. I I mean, don't tell them this right away. I can't wait to see what your gift is. That's a little awkward. Invite them, have a meal with them, be normal with them. But in the back of your mind, think, hey, wow, I just, this could be the next missionary to Turkey or to Japan or to Greece or to Italy or Taiwan or Africa, wherever. You never know but do you see people like that as they come through the doors? Do you see them as another brother and sister? Do you see them as a father or a mother? Do you see him as an, a leader? When we saw people back at the Point Life Group years ago, there was only 15 people in the church, uh, I remember seeing people that way. Just, you know, part of it, you just had no choice. You're like, well, you have, I mean, this, this, if God's going to grow this church... <laughs> But you saw, we saw people that way. They had value. First Corinthians 12, they, you saw future teachers and future apostles and future church planters and uh, those who'd grab the coffee or whatever. Um, uh, hospitality. We have so many people in this church that have the gift of hospitality. It's incredible. Incredible. In fact, I was at a wedding yesterday, in, uh, an Antioch wedding, which are awesome to go to. Um, get married and you can go to one. Um, and so <laughs> that's one way to go. Uh, but but uh, I love that. As I was asking people at the, at the table and just saying, hey, how, how's life group going? And how's life? And oh, we've had these people over. And it's so fun to be hospitable. And it's so fun to have people over and to cook together. I mean, that's the church. And God, guys, that is happening every day of the week. I don't know if you know that, but it's happening every day of the week. And you're like, well, I don't know that. Then do that. It's not hard to invite people over to the house. You know, the one way to get over the awkwardness of conversations of like small talk is to get over the awkwardness of conversations and doing small talk. And actually doing it. Really. I mean, there's no other way to do it. There's no easy way to do it. Uh, you just got to do it. And one day you'll find that these are your best Friends you got to start somewhere. And today could be a good place to start by joining us on the lawn and and being together and just working through that. All right. And then they appointed elders and deacons, which we don't have time to go into. Uh, by the way, this is point two of six, uh, and we are just going to get through it. So it's bold reliance on the Lord. So let me just get into Acts 14. So in Iconium, they entered the synagogue of the Jews together and spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed, both of the Jews and of Greeks. But the Jews who were disbelieved stirred the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. Therefore, they spent a long time there speaking boldly with the reliance upon the Lord, who was testifying to the word of his grace, granting that signs and wonders be done in their hands. But the people of the city were divided. And some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by the Jews, or I'm sorry, both the, when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews and with their rulers to mistreat or to stone them, they became aware of it and fled to the cities of Lyconia, Lystra and Derbe and surrounding region. And they were continued to preach the gospel. It's amazing after they knew that. But number two, number one is they were a gifted church. Number two, they were bold. They had a bold reliance on the Lord. Now, I want to just point to you guys, I'm not going to be able to go through all of this this morning, but I want to point out a few things that is important here. Is One, guys, as we grow, we will have opposition. It is clear in Scripture that it happens simultaneously, Right? Think about it. Every time they grew, research this, become scholars, research the scriptures, show yourself again over and over and over again. Any time you saw growth, it was either provoked by, it was either persecution preceded it or it came after it. In other words, it was, it was, it was so fluid. It was like persecution, growth, growth, persecution, persecution, growth, growth, persecution. It happened over and over and over again. And that's helpful to know that that is how God grows his church. And that, are, that is also the consequences of when God grows his church. Now, I wanna point out one word that I think is important. Here it says in verse two, it says, embittered. Now, what they did was, was the Jews who disbelieved stirred up in the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. In other words, There will be those who stir up trouble always. They're always going to be among us. The word embittered means poisoned. In other words, I'll say it this way. There will always be those who poison the minds of others against the leadership of the church. That's exactly what was happening here. But I love this is that all the while that was happening, they still continued to speak boldly. Isn't that great? How did they get that power? In other words, was it out of their strength? Was it out of a place of anger? No, it was out of a place of purity because here it says bold reliance upon the Lord. What is he he ultimately saying? And ultimately what he's saying is when the church meets persecution, if those who are relying on the Lord and staying connected to him will continue to speak boldly even in the midst of that trouble. And what does boldness mean? It is the Greek word meaning courageous, daring, fearless. They speak or they act irregardless of the consequences. That's what boldness means. So in other words, anytime you're met, so somebody uh, recently told me that they're having trouble in school because somebody, well, texted or emailed them saying, hey, you need to call me by my pronoun, the pronoun that I'm choosing, not my birth pronoun, but the pronoun that I'm choosing, and you need to do this. Now, boldness would say, in that context, would say, all right, God, give me wisdom. Of course, you need wisdom, but boldness would say, not uh, responding in anger like we often see with politicians or we often see on late-night TV or uh, or the news, right, we see that often it is, how many know that it is about our tone just as much as it about the truth? And so when Paul was speaking, he said, look, he said this in uh, multiple, uh, or not Paul, Peter said this in multiple places in Acts 4.19, this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like to have boldness, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you or rather to God, you be the judge. Now, I wasn't saying that sarcastically. He was saying that, like, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Now, why can't they stop speaking what they've seen and heard? Because the Lord himself said, I have, given you, I have all authority, and I'm giving you that authority to go make disciples, to speak the word of God, to be my witnesses, right? So, and then in, uh, you see this also in Acts 5. He says, now, now, Lord, take note, I'm sorry, Acts four twenty nine. take note of their threats. Now, what does he do? He says, in the midst of persecution, what does he do? He says, Lord, you know what's going on. Take note of their threats. They go to God in prayer. And so what he says is, they, he said, okay, take note of their threats and grant that your bond servants or your slaves may speak your word with all confidence. You see, What persecution ultimately does, it it sets out to silence the church. That's all it does. You might think, well, persecution set out to kill the church. If they kill the church, the church grows. But if the church remains silent, it does not. Think about that. If If people get killed for their faith, it grows. But if persecution stops people from speaking, it stops growing. And what America really embodies is this, when, 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 when the times have changed over the last so many years, after the Great Awakening, things just as like Constantine came in 300 after the first century church grew, that slowed down the church because it legalized the church. It's the same thing what happened in America. We've gotten comfortable over the years, right? And what we've done is we've stopped speaking boldly and what we need is a good dose of boldness in the midst of persecution or in the midst of opposition. And that could come in different, different forms. Now, in Acts 5, this is also what it means. It says, we gave, the, the, they brought him before the council. says, we gave you strict orders not to continue teaching. Teaching is the key word in, the name, in this name. And yet, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answers, we must obey God rather than man. Now, Ferguson says this, this boldness appears to involve exactly what it denotes. There is freedom of speech. That is what boldness means. We catch occasional glimpses of this in the Acts of the Apostles, which we're reading. What is said of the New England preacher, Thomas Hooker, became, becomes a visible reality. Listen to this. When he preached, those who heard him felt that he could pick up a king and put him In his pocket. He had such boldness. We need that boldness again. Spurgeon says this there must be some who will fling aside the cowardly love of peace and speak out for the Lord and for his truth. A craven spirit is upon man, and their tongues are paralyzed. Oh, for an outburst of truth and holy zeal! Boldness is speaking. Boldness is speaking, and you know that when you've been at parties or Easter or Christmas or different birthday parties with your family, and you, you, it just inevitably, the spotlight's on you. Why do you believe what you believe? Why do you go on mission? Why do you? Why has your life changed so much? And you could just say, I don't know. I just. I have good friends or I have a good church. That's not the gospel. That's not going to save anybody. All of America go to church. What saves them is the message. And we need men and women to stand up and preach that message. Knowing that you can always come back here and get a hug after persecution. All right? Okay, so we're seeing at the very end of this that they fled persecution. The other side of this, I think it's important to know this, they fled persecution, you might be thinking, well, what cowards? Mm-mm. It is wisdom. If you can get out of being stoned, I would do that. <laughs> I would totally do that. In fact, it says, and the Lord modeled that uh, in Luke 4, 28, They he after he spoke, if you remember that he got in a synagogue, he spoke, Isaiah 61, this is me, And they were enraged at him, and they led him to the brow of the hill in which their city had built in order to throw him down the cliff. We often miss that. And it says, but passing through their midst, he went on his way. I can imagine Jesus is like, I got to get out of here. I mean, he did. But what did he do in the garden of Gethsemane? He submitted. Because he knew it was the time. He knew it was the time. Yeah, in fact, he said, I could throw down legions of angels. I mean, this is not hard to get out of. I've gotten out of many others. You got to trust God in that. You need wisdom. And I'm not saying, this has nothing to do with speaking. But if there is a place to get, if there's a a way to get out of persecution, it's not that we should want it. We don't want it. Sometimes we get a little high on that. We feel like we're more spiritual if we get it. And I'd say sometimes that's foolishness. We've got to let God set that up. And he gets the glory in persecution, not you. In Matthew 10, 23, it says, but whenever they persecute you in one city, what does he say? Flee to the next. Flee to the next. There's wisdom. But they left their mark on the city. In fact, it says here, I love this. I love looking out background stuff to confirm. Paul was literally there and they have archeology span has proven that he was there. And there's some writings in the Acts of Paul, a book um, by Onisphorus, and he was a resident of Iconium. And listen to this. This is what they said about Paul. They said he made such a great impact on these cities. And I love what they said about Paul. This gives us a little background information of what he was kind of like, at least personality-wise or at least physically. Uh, he sets out to meet Paul, this, this resident, sets out to meet Paul who is on his way to the city, and, they, and he saw Paul approaching a man of small stature with a bald head, crooked legs, and a good state of body with eyebrows meeting, which means a unibrow, and a nose somewhat hooked, full of friendliness, for, he, for now he appeared like a man, but he had a face like an angel. That's Paul. Crooked leg, bald-headed, hooked nose. It's just funny to me. I don't know why that is just funny. Um, but then they fled to the next city. And I, I love that, that uh, he didn't waste time. Now, uh, was very much like Jonathan Edwards. He had a resolve, I have one purpose, is that's to preach the gospel. Number three, they deflected the glory to God. At Lystra, a man was sitting who had no strength in his feet, lame from his mother's womb, and had never walked. This man was listening to Paul as he spoke, who, when he had fixed his gaze on him, had seen that he had faith to be made well and said with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he leaped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Peter, I'm sorry, what Paul had done, they raised their voice, saying in Lyconian language, the gods have become like men and they come down to us. And they began calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, who is a temple, was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their robes and rushed out into the crowd, crying out and saying, men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you. And preach the gospel to you that you should turn from these vain things to the living God. In other words, we're preaching this so you would turn away from these idols. That is our purpose. Who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In the generations gone by permitted all the nations to go their own ways. And yet he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good and gave you rains from Heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness, even saying these things with difficulty as they restrain the crowds from offering a sacrifice to, to them. A couple of things I want to point out that is important. First, the history of this. They had, during this time, they believed Romans and the Greek gods, they shared gods. They had Zeus and Hermes. Zeus was like the father of the gods and the father of all the created men. Hermes was uh, uh, the, more the messenger of the gods, if you know Greek mythology. And, and basically, there was a, some sort of legend back that these people believed in that these two gods, the two gods came down to try to be with the people. Well, most of the people were unaware that these gods had visited. And so uh, except this, this couple, uh, what was their names of Philemon and Bacchus, they were a, a, a sweet couple that housed these two gods and they showed the gods hospitality and then the rest were punished because they were inhospitable. And so when they realized that they thought that Zeus and Hermes showed up again, they're like, no way are we, we are showing them hospitality today, not like our forefathers. And so we got to get these, this together. We're got to show them respect. And so that was sort of what was happening. They weren't just like a random thing, you know, that, that, that they, they were like, this, these gods, they do miracles. They're showing up and we want to show them respect. And Paul and Barnabas was saying, Absolutely not. We cannot take credit for that miracle that just happened. It was for God's glory. Now, where is the application in that? Anything, again, that happens in this church, whether that's salvations, churches planted, people growing in their faith, it is because of God. We cannot take credit for that. It'd be foolish. In fact, in first Peter five, six says, Clothe yourselves in humility. Or James four, six and ten, it is for God who opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he might exalt you at a proper time. And also Second Corinthians twelve, nine and ten, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore I am well content with my weaknesses with insults, distresses, persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, I am strong. Guys, let's not take credit for anything. Whether you're a life group leader, you're leading some sort of zone, our zone pastors, our elders, we cannot take credit. It is God who saves. When you realize how wretched we are and how it is a miracle that someone would go from darkness to light, why would we ever think about taking any credit for that? It just doesn't make any sense. And then uh, Paul says something else that I do want to point out. Romans 1, 18 through 20, he says this. Now, I want to show you something here. Romans 1 and Acts 17, notice that Paul, for the very first time, and this is important for your evangelism, we are living in a day We are not not going into synagogues. Most likely when you go on campus or in your workplace, you're dealing with people who do not know the Old Testament. Right? So really, what is more relevant, you should mark down, is Acts 14 and 17 are probably the most relevant passages today in evangelism. Now, I want to show you something that is very important Romans one eighteen through 32, which I will not read the whole thing. I'll just read 18 to 20. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth of unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within him. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his internal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen. Now we know that. Being understood though are through what has been made so that they are without excuse. And then he goes with the downward spiral, the sexual sin, homosexual sin, and then depraved minds, a deluded mind. Now, guys, that is in-house talk. What Paul is saying, that is a total in-house talk. Acts 17, 22 to 31, which we'll read in DC, and what you see in Acts 14, you need to start with creation to Christ, not Old Testament to Christ. Because they don't understand that. But what you need is to be equipped to know the scriptures, to understand the scriptures, so that you have a backing in case they ask First Peter three fifteen. You have a reason why you believe. So the church coming in here, so like, oh, we don't need to know that because the culture. No, 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 no. Do not think that way. I want to be equipped in everything that I need to know about God because He's my Savior. He's my Father. I want to know him. I want to have, a, I want to have substance. But when I, when I interact with, the, with the, the people outside the church, I have to understand that they do not know the Old Testament. Therefore, I can't just start with Abraham and bring them along to Christ. Although you could do that. But somehow you, you have to go back to creation. These people were totally oblivious in this city and Paul knew that. Paul knew who he was dealing with. When we went to Japan, it was very much like that, right? We started with creation. Now, when we go to South America, we can start with the Old Testament, realizing they're like, sometimes some of them could be like Judaizers and realize, oh, my work saved me. Or they think they're saved because of syncretism happening with Mary and happening kind of like the, some of those Catholic roots there in South America. So you start with the Old Testament and show them, yes, they believe, but show them how Jesus saves and he's the only way to salvation. And it's not by works, but by faith. So there's different ways to uh, teach and preach to the nations, and we have to know who we're dealing with. But I would say now in America, it is an Acts 14 and 17 culture. We start with, hey, you are created in the image of God, male and female, and then take them through. Show them their brokenness. Show them their need for a Savior, and then lead them to Jesus. It's important to know that. In Romans 2, 13 to 15, you're like, well, they don't have a law, but he says, for when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law written in their hearts, their conscience key, bearing witness and their thoughts alternatively, alternately accusing or else defending them. In other words, they have a conscience. That's where we're grown. We, we, even though we don't have the law, even though we don't have the Old Testament, we do have the conscience. And play on that. hey, Do you ever have guilty feelings? Everyone's had that. Yeah, I do. Why do you feel like that? It's because do not ignore that. That is the spirit of God. You're made in the image of God. Do not ignore that. And God can wipe that guilt away by trusting Jesus. There's always a segue in uh, as you preach the gospel. Spurgeon says this, just to close that section of humility, the best definition of humility I've ever heard was this to think rightly of ourselves. To think rightly. Not to think less of ourselves, but to think of ourselves less, right? That was C.S. Lewis, kind of combining the two. Okay, in other words, humility is the proper estimate of oneself. Remember, every Christian has a choice between being humble or being humbled. Every day, you have that choice. Number three in the characteristics, this is a short one, they persevered through hardships. Verse 19, but when the Jews came to Antioch and Iconium, having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. So he wasn't dead, that Greek word dead, the supposed means it looks like he was dead, but he was not. Now that's important because they did not raise him from the dead, although some people say that he was or that's how he got his third heaven experience. He wasn't dead. He was just simply knocked unconscious because he got a, throne, a stone thrown at him. But, when, but while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. The next day, he went away with Barnabas to Derbe, and after they had preached the gospel to that city and had many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch. So was this important? Uh, Paul didn't rest. I would imagine most of us would have probably taken a sabbatical after we got stoned. Like you just get up and say, I'm going to the Bahamas, I'm getting out of there, just leave me alone for a little bit. Paul's like, all right, I'm back, let's go to the next city. (laughs) And I love that. There's something there. It's like Jonathan Edwards in his 70 resolves. He resolved. He made the most of every opportunity. He understood, he said, he redeemed the time, Ephesians five sixteen, because the days are evil. He understood, if, if I don't go, who's gonna go? He lived with that in mind. He had that mindset. Philippians four 11, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. That's Paul. Number four, uh, verse 21 to 23, I would read here, they were a pastoral church, and that's why I wanna pick up from the first part of this, is they were a pastoral church. Everybody in this church is a pastor in that sense. You're called to strengthen the church and exhort the church or encourage the church. That is the goal of missions. That's the goal of church. When you come here, you want to strengthen one another with the word of God. So verse 22, they went back around to, mind you, to the cities that opposed them. Okay? How many of us, after we are being opposed by people, you just go back and say, I love these people. What, what Paul said, love compels me to go back. He loved those people that he raised up. He's like, I've got to go back. I know they're in every city. He says, every city awaits trials and tribulations, he says. We have that as a mindset, a worldview. And we shouldn't be surprised when it comes. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. When they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with, with fasting, they commended them to the Lord whom they believed. Now, Ephesians four thirteen to 16, I'll just give you that as a reference. You can read that later. But they, the purpose of God giving us pastors is to build us up so that we are not tossed we don't have, we're not, we're not tossed in our minds. We're not easily influenced. One of my pet peeves is to see the church just be so easily brainwashed by the news or by the world. You shouldn't be. We should, no, forget that. We don't need to listen to that. We know the truth, and the truth sets us free from the bondage of the lies who is the father of lies, the devil. Okay, he did four things when he went back. This reminds me of what we did in Belgium, Colombia, Japan, Sweden, Miami. Four things. One is strengthen. It means to make one firm. It gives them firmness. When you pray for someone, you're like, I want to give them a more firm foundation. I want to give them something they can go to work with. I want to send them away with backing, with strength. When you, when you come to church, but I want to strengthen my brothers and sisters. That's why you come here. You don't come to evaluate, you come to serve. That's what the body of Christ does. Now there's always going to be the evaluators, but you come to serve the church. Come to serve, not nitpick or uh, anything else. Okay, encouraging. Uh, I wish I had more time to go through these passages, but encouraging, they were exhorting them. What that means, encouraging doesn't mean a pat on the back. It does, that's comfort. Comfort means that we're gonna get through this. He comforts, that's important, but this is exhortation. It means you're exhorting someone to what? Obedience to Christ. You're helping them to obey the commands of Jesus. What does it mean to make a disciple, Matthew 28? To baptize and to teach. What? Teach the things concerning Christ. What actually gives us faith, Romans 10, 17? The things concerning Christ. In other words, we are not manipulating people to obey our commands. We are appointing people to obey Jesus's commands. That is what God has called us to do as a church. And I'm telling you, you do that over and over and over again, we'll have one of the strongest churches in our city, if not the nations. Really. 1 Thessalonians 2, 11, just as you know, how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father with his own children? Do you look at yourself as fathers and mothers, future fathers and mothers of the house to say, "Man, I want you to obey Jesus, because that is what is going to bring you the greatest joy in your life." And others, you know, Acts 20:31 says, be on alert, remembering that day and night for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one of them with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among those who are being sanctified. What do, you, what do, you, what do we commend each other to? Oh man, you gotta go to that guy. He's just an awesome dude. You know, we're so easily pressed by each other, aren't we? we're we're easily impressed in this culture. You know why? Because maybe sometimes, I think sometimes we didn't grow up in the best of homes and we didn't have the best teachers and that when we see one that's somewhat like, it's so different, like, oh man, this guy's like amazing. And, 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 and they lift people up so much and it's just Paul and Barnabas saying, hey, look, we're nothing. We're not Zeus. We're not Hermes. We're not, I mean, we're not the gods. We are just, we're a servant of the one true God. And just, we're, we just keep pointing people to Jesus. That's all we do. And what a privilege that is and, and what a weight that's taken off of all of us. It's a team effort. 1 John two 14, I've written to you fathers because you know him. Young people keep older people accountable to know God. I mean, with respect, you're not, you're praying for them, but the oldest people in the church should be the most joyful people in the church. Alrighty. <laughs> and I've written you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. This is the Bible. It's not my words. Isn't that great? Because when you have a history in God for 20, 30, 40, 60 years, we're talking not just age in, in, in length in years, but we're talking in spiritual, spiritual years, when the more, you, more you're with Christ, the more you're gonna love, the more tender you're gonna be, the more joyful you're gonna be. Why? Because you've probably gone through way more trials and you've got out on the other side and say, you know what, young guys? You can do this. You can do this. It's not, it's hard, but you can do it. Test, the testing of your faith produces Strength and perseverance for the next one. And then he exhorted them, like we talked about Acts 13, so he strengthened, encouraged, exhorted them to continue in the faith. Perseverance, mark this, perseverance is the mark of true conversion. That has to be a worldview in this church. We cannot be so fooled uh, anymore of uh, people who just come and go and uh, you know, want to try to find churches that suit their fancy. no. Uh, it, it is commitment that shows that you are his. Ephesians 6.10 through 12 speaks of the warfare that happens. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. That's intimidating. That's like, what do you, what do you, wait, well, hold on a second. That means if I'm going to go to heaven, I got to go through many tribulations and I got to get on the other side still loving Jesus? Yes. You still want to sign up? You still want to be here? I love the, it's, uh, this passage. It says this in John sixteen thirty three. It says, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. And in the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I've overcome the world. There's hope. 2 Timothy 2, 3, suffer hardship with me. Paul's actually saying, come on, I'm suffering, suffer hardship with me. Can you imagine telling somebody on the streets, he's like, I don't know if I want to follow God. And he's like, you know, suffer hardship with me. You'd be telling them the truth, by the way. We don't look at just Christianity that way, do we? We need to. 2 Timothy 3.12, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Matthew 13.20-21, 20 the seed sown on the rocky places, this is persecution. And they receive the message with joy on the streets and you're like coming back you're like, man, they're just like, oh, this is so awesome, they listen to my message, oh, what a great evangelist I am. And then months later, they just, they're just they not there anymore. It's like, how did that happen? Because we forgot that it's a miracle that someone saved and stays in the faith. We're simply messengers. We're calling people to stay, to continue in the faith. Matthew 16, 24 to 25, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever wishes to lose his life For my sake, we'll find it. God will produce fruit in the suffering. Church, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You're wondering, man, I really wish I can grow in patience. Well, here comes a trial. (laughs) (laughs) I wish I could just be a better dad. I just want to be, here comes a trial. Just be careful what you pray for. 1 Peter 5:10 After you have suffered for a little while the God of all grace who has called you into his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect confirm strengthen and establish you. What a wonderful promise. The last promise here. Matthew 19:27 to 29. I know some of us complainers in the room, including myself, have said, man, what, we've just given up everything for you, Lord. Like, where's the reward? <laughs> and he says, behold, we have left everything to follow you. Then what will be for us? And you know, Jesus was not bothered by that question because there is a reward for his people. And this is what he says. It says, truly, I say to you that you who have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne you also shall sit upon the 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel and everyone who has left houses, brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or farms, workplaces, for my namesake, will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. That's your promise. Know that you know what it was worth it. It was worth it. When you were eighteen, you just said yes. It was worth it. Uh, when we started this church, some of you guys just said, "You know what? I'm in. I'm in." It was so worth it, isn't it? It's glorious. He said he's gonna he's gonna take care of his people here on earth and in heaven. What a wonderful promise! And lastly, they appointed leaders. They appointed leaders, and I just want to give you an exhortation to honor leaders in this church. And that is not self-serving. It is biblical. First Thessalonians 5.12 says, Appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. 1 Timothy 5.17, The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Hebrews 13.17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls, and those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief. For this would be unprofitable for you. Isn't it interesting? It won't be unprofitable for them. They'll continue to do the work because God's called them. But it will be unprofitable for you who give them a hard time. First Peter five, five, you younger men likewise be subject to your elders. Of course, do it with humility because God will oppose you if you're proud, but he will lift you up when you have grace. I'll have the band come up and then we'll just close on this last note, number six, is they had vision for more. It says here in verse 24, then they passed through Pisidia. In other words, they passed through Antioch. They were going, moseying their way down to Syria, Antioch, their hub, came to Pamphylia, when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia. And I love the fact that the Bible is so detailed. It says they went down, they looked at Perga again, because why? Because they skipped Perga on the way up. Paul said, I have to preach the gospel in all the towns and be faithful. He understood. He mapped everything out. He was certainly a strategist. and He said, I got to get the word there before I go back home, down to Atalia. And then from there, they sailed to Antioch from which they had commended to the grace of God the work that they had accomplished. They gave God glory. They'd shared testimonies back at the hub called Antioch. And when they had arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all things that God had done with them and how they, he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. In other words, it wasn't, man, you guys are amazing preachers and apostles. He just said, look, God opened the door and we simply went through and we simply saw people come to Christ And man, it was hard. I'm sure there were still scars he was being healed from, from being stoned to death or almost to death and just beat up and uh, shared the war, war stories and the scars on their bodies and said it was worth it. God opened up these doors and they spent a long time with the disciples. They fellowshiped with each other. The word fellowship means in the Greek, it's very interesting. It doesn't just mean to hang out with people. It means to share a set of beliefs. It means to believe the gospel, to believe the scriptures. It means to be in it together. It means to, hey, we're, we believe this stuff together and it makes it so rich. That's what makes church more rich than your workplace makes it more rich than uh, your classrooms. makes it more rich than even your own blood family. Uh, the reason why the church is so rich in fellowship is because we believe the same things. It's amazing. And that brings such unity in our church. But I want to point out one last thing, and that is not only did they give glory for all the credit of the work they did in the past, but they had vision for more. They had vision for more. In fact, after Acts 15, which we'll start, I don't know why, but this is in the providence of God, but we'll start with the council at Jerusalem and next week on time at 10.30 a.m. at the schools, don't come here. But it, I just want to point out that we've got to have vision. Paul went on his second and third missionary journeys and then he passed the baton on as you see in Acts 20 he said hey I am now giving you Ephesians have vision there's about these wolves are about to come in feed and protect these sheep these precious sheep and then of course when the time that he died um, I'll end on 2nd Timothy 2 4 and this is uh, if you remember in the summer uh, being at the two weeks uh, in the Place over in Longwood. If you remember that time together, it was a very intense time. Uh, it, it was a wonderful time. We were learning so much uh, about how uh, God is called the leaders of the church to both protect the house and to feed the flock. That is God's call for every pastor. Uh, that we don't get the this in the room, and certainly not as some of the parents after. Um, the wedding as they always do a lot of times with tears in their eyes just saying thank you we cannot thank you enough that my kids have such amazing uh, they have one another uh, and as a couple but they have such a great people to make sure that um, that they live out their marriage vows together in the fellowship and that is costly it's day and night cost to have the fruit that you see in the rim. And Paul, as he was literally about to die, um, this was his second imprisonment, not the first, as you see at the end of Acts, but this was his second one under Nero. And he says this in verse 1 of chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, and then we'll pray. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God. This is his last words out of the mouth of Paul, written by his very hands. He says this, and, and scholars say he literally wrote this out to ensure that they understood what we were supposed to do even thousands of years today. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, encourage, with great patience and instruction, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, and will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth. And will turn away their ears from the truth, and will turn aside to myths. But you be sober. In all things, endure hardship for the work of an evangelism. Do the work of an evangelism and fulfill your ministry, for I am ready to be poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course. I have kept the faith, and in the future there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness for which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also all of you who have loved his appearing. That's all of us. This is what we've all signed up for.